Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where we've been giving you just the news about coronavirus, about the Russia scandal, about all the things going on inside of Congress and around the government. And uh, today, big news, the president just announcing that the anti-malarial drug chloroquine is a potential uh, breakthrough, treats coronavirus, it's working. Where did you hear that first? You got it right. Just the news, my colleague, Christine Dolan. In fact, we did our last podcast about it. How about that? The president confirming that today we may have a major breakthrough in the fight against coronavirus with a drug that's been in America since 1949. That is big, big news. You heard it here first on John Solomon Reports and at justthenews.com. We're very proud of that. And we've got more exciting news like that today when we come back from the commercial break. uh Uh-oh, Bill Clinton just made an admission. You're not going to believe it. For all those Democrats who've been trying to politicize the Justice Department issues, stay tuned to what Bill Clinton just admitted to to in the latest Hillary documentary that's running on Hulu. You're not going to want to miss that. And we've got a big guest today, House Minority Whip Steve Scalise. Found out last night he needed to be quarantined in the coronavirus scare because he was in contact with a colleague who's now been diagnosed. He's going to be calling us from his home where he's locked up and safe and doing well. You're going to want to hear this interview. He talks about everything from health care to the corona scare to Russia and FISA reform. Uh, this is a great interview, blockbuster interview. You're going to love it. But first, we've got to go to the commercial break, pay the bills. Please remember, support our sponsors and advertisers. They're great. They make this show possible. We'll be back right after the break. Bill Clinton, Steve Scalise, coronavirus, and a whole lot more. All right, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, we're going to play you that very important soundbite by President Trump, the President of the United States, confirming today that the anti-malarial drug chloroquine, the drug that Just the News reporter Christine Dolan brought to all of us last week uh, as a possible solution for the coronavirus, the president today calling it a tremendous potential breakthrough in the fight. Let's listen to his words quickly. And it's shown very encouraging very, very encouraging early results. And we're going to be able to make that drug available almost immediately. 
And that's where the FDA has been so great. All right. You just heard the president. He called this chloroquine, this anti-malarial drug that Christine Dolan of Just the News first highlighted earlier this week as a tremendous potential breakthrough. That is good news for us all. We've been looking for a magic bullet, some good news in this horrific fight against uh, COVID-19 and the the, uh, outbreak that we've all been suffering through and watching uh, as it spread across the globe from China to Europe and now into the United States. And uh, I want to say one thing quickly. The reason to pat ourselves on the back at Just the News, it's not the real reason to mention Christine's reporting. The real reason is so much of the reporting today has been breathless. Hey, this is a serious crisis. No one doubts it. But sometimes good reporting isn't just on what's wrong and what people are panicking about and what the worst case scenarios are. It's also about finding solutions that maybe are not getting highlighted, not being talked about, not getting through the media filters. And I'm so proud that Just the News and Christine Dolan and this podcast, John Solomon Reports, was able to get you word early of this anti-malarial drug and its remarkable early track record in fighting uh, coronavirus. That's the sort of thing good reporting should do at the same time while we're bringing you the death rates and we're bringing you the warnings and we're bringing you the daily briefings. We treat this seriously, but sometimes gloom and doom isn't the only type of reporting. It's also responsible and incumbent upon reporters to be looking at things that are working and solving the situation. And that's what Christine Dolan and Just the News did earlier this week. And glad to hear the president uh, uh, make mention of it today that that drug is emerging as a key tool in the weapon or key weapon in fighting this uh, incredible scourge that we now call coronavirus. Now, quickly, before we leave the coronavirus topic aside, one more quick little fun thing. Uh, It's uh, the Surgeon General today really made a plea to Americans. If you're healthy and you want to do something to help your fellow Americans to help this fight against coronavirus, you know what you can do? You could go donate some blood because the Red Cross is way low on uh, blood in this incredibly difficult time in America. The normal way that people give blood and the normal social distancing has um, uh, changed the way that people are donating blood. Here's something you can do. If you're healthy and you're well, Melania Trump, President Trump, Democrats, Hollywood, members all around the world, they're telling you, you if you're healthy, Go donate some blood today and help the Red Cross out. Help a patient in need in a hospital. That's something small but special you can do to contribute to the fight against coronavirus and all of the other things going on in the world today. There are still car accidents. There are still people needing transfusions who are sick and cancer and chemo and surgeries. This is something small that could make a big difference. And so I pass that on from our Surgeon General, from our First Lady, from our President, from the Democrats and all the Hollywood people who have been banging this drum for a few days. This is something you can do right now to help out. I know I'm going to go do it. You should, too. All right, let's pivot quickly to a little history lesson. Oh, yes, let's go back to 1994 and the Bill Clinton years. Why not? It'll be fun, I promise you. Why? Because over the last few weeks, you're probably all acutely aware of the uh, conversations that the Democrats have been having, suggesting that Attorney General William Barr is a stooge for President Trump. He's politicized the Justice Department. Uh, He seems to be taking the president's side in the Russia case uh, and uh, uh, the Ukraine case and other issues that have come up, scandals that have been made by the media and, and by Democratic critics. And that's all fair and uh, fair play in Washington. We, uh, it's not the first time an attorney general and the media and the Democrats have fought over this issue. But in the middle of this, there's a little 
documentary on Hulu. I encourage you to watch it. I think it's very good. It's called Hillary. It kind of goes back to the through the Clinton years. And it, while the focus is on Hillary Clinton and her rise from first lady to uh, senator to presidential candidate twice, um, uh, there is a uh, little episode in the middle of episode two, a little soundbite from uh, President Bill Clinton that I think you all should hear about. The 42nd president, Bill Clinton, is reminiscing about a moment, along with the first lady, Hillary Clinton, former first lady, about that tumultuous period in early 1994 when the Whitewater scandal, the scandal over their real estate investment in uh, Arkansas with an SNL owner by the name of James McDougal and his wife. They, uh, this was a big scandal, and it was an early presidency, and it was paralyzed in, in this controversy. And uh, they're talking about it, and a funny conversation emerges I, I want to walk you through this just a little bit because it's not exactly something you might pick out the first time you're watching the uh, Hulu documentary, which, by the way, has lots of amazing, interesting things about the Clinton years. But the uh, questioner uh, brings up the 1994 time frame when uh, the pressure was building to name a special counsel to investigate the real estate investment known as Whitewater in Arkansas and all the corruption allegations that were surrounding it at the time. And uh, Bill Clinton weighs in. He actually remembers uh, this moment. They ask him about it. Uh, it was right before then Attorney General Janet Reno named a guy named Robert Fisk, a very respected lawyer, to be a special counsel to look at the Whitewater investigation. Eventually, that investigation gets transferred to a guy named Kenneth Starr, the Whitewater Independent Counsel. You probably all remember him. But Bill Clinton talks about this moment. Here's what he says. He says, quote, the press started demanding a special counsel. We've got to have a special counsel. We've got to have a special counsel. Uh, and you advised him not to do it. The interview uh, asked, turning to Mrs. Clinton, uh, to the former first lady. And she says, Hillary Clinton responds back, absolutely. I advised him not to. And anyone else who would listen, I said it was a terrible mistake and you shouldn't do it. I didn't think we had done anything wrong. Why would we agree to that? Uh, but you'll have to ask Bill. I mean, he basically was told if he didn't, it would be on the front page all the time and all the other things he was doing that were so important to the nation would get drowned out. So that's what Mrs. Clinton said. She acknowledges she was resisting that. And of course, Bill Clinton comes back and makes this little but very important admission. I told them to go ahead and do it, he said. It's the worst mistake I ever made. It was a terrible mistake. Now, what's he saying there? Bill Clinton's acknowledging the Justice Department consulted with him about whether they should name a special prosecutor, and he gave the go-ahead. Now, why is that important? For most of the last 25 years, including in books about Janet Reno, this decision to name a special prosecutor, Mr. Fisk, and then eventually the independent counsel, Judge Kenneth Starr has been portrayed as something that happened independently, organically, no political interference. What do we learn from Bill Clinton today? Well, we find out that he actually was consulted and had to sign off on it behind the scenes. Basically, Bill Clinton did this for political reasons. And all these years later, he has buyer's remorse. Now, why do I bring this up? Because for anyone who's throwing dirt right now at Attorney General Barr, or uh, suggesting that these things don't go on except in the Trump administration. Guess what? It went on in 1994 with Bill Clinton in the Clinton administration. And that wasn't the only time that presidents and uh, Justice Department and special prosecutors were having behind the scenes uh, conversations. You can go all the way back to 1875. There was a whiskey controversy. It was called the Whiskey um, uh, Gang uh, Corruption in uh, 1875, I believe it was. Ulysses Grant was president. 
this scandal and the allegations of corruption and tax evasion were reaching into the White House. And Ulysses Grant was having conversations with the Justice Department about, guess what, naming a special prosecutor. Ended up picking up Democrat, a former senator uh, at the time. He ran the investigation for a while, brought some people to justice, and then he got fired because he wouldn't stop investigating. So all the way back to the pre-civil or post-Civil War era, these conversations of presidents and attorney generals talking about scandals have gone on. And of course, the most famous one that we all know is Richard Nixon and Watergate and the Saturday Night Massacre when the attorney general, Elliot Richardson, was fired because he wouldn't stand down on the Watergate investigation. So uh, a little history, a little perspective, a little honest admission from Bill Clinton. Presidents past and present have conversations with their Justice Department about the scandals affecting them. Now, is it right? That's for the readers to decide and the listeners to decide. But let's be clear. These, these conversations about Bill Barr lack this past information, this past perspective that Bill Clinton, Ulysses Grant, Richard Nixon, they've all had these conversations in the past. And the real question is, do these conversations affect the independence and the integrity of the Justice Department? Just because a conversation occurred, just because a tweet occurred, just because someone opined aloud what they would like to see, did the Justice Department at the end of the day make the right decision? Now, Janet Reno said all the way until her death a few years ago, she made the right decision, as painful as it was, to name a special counsel, then an independent counsel. She thought she did it independent of the president's approval. So it worked out okay for the American people, I think. Bill Clinton didn't think so, but I think a lot of people in real America think that that was a, uh, the right decision to make independently. I think people will have to judge this Justice Department, both the original appointment of uh, Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller in Russia. Was that warranted? Was that a good decision? Was that a bad decision? Was the Justice Department acting independently or politically? We still need to know those answers, and that's what we hope John Durham, the special prosecutor, will give us. But while this debate goes on, just remember, Ulysses Grant, Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, they all had these sort of things go on before. This isn't a vacuum, America, and that is why we bring you this podcast, to remind you the facts, history, context, just the news. That's what we're here for. All right, we're going to go to a quick commercial break when we come back. Congressman Steve Scalise, the minority whip, the re number two Republican in the House. This is an interview you won't want to miss. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, we have a special guest here, Steve Scalise, the House Republican whip, one of our good friends and one of the uh, honest brokers in Congress. Uh, sir, thank you for joining us today. John, great to be with you. It's a, it's a difficult day for you. I guess a challenging day for you is uh, I don't know all of our listeners yeah. know yet, but you're, you're in quarantine, right? Yes, I am. And uh, in fact, you know, it's something we found out yesterday evening, uh, a colleague of mine, Mario Diaz-Ballard, had tested positive. So I was right. meeting with him Friday, so it felt to be best just to 
self-quarantine, and I know a few of our colleagues that were in that meeting are doing the same. So taking all the precautions, but feeling great and still working, just working, you know, working remotely. Just like the rest of America right now. Like a huh? lot of people, right. Yeah. Exactly. It is, it is remarkable. Well, we wish you well and hope everything, uh, and also for the two congressmen who are infected, we wish them well in our prayers today for sure. Yeah. So there was uh, just a big announcement. President Trump came out, had his daily briefing on coronavirus, and he confirmed something. We've been reporting at Justin News for about a week now that this um, anti-malarial drug, uh, chloroquine, is showing uh, significant uh, effect on the coronavirus. In fact, he called it a possible big breakthrough. Can you give us your latest assessment of how the fight against the virus is going and when you think we might might turn a corner? Yeah, you know, and that was real positive news. You've heard from uh, a few countries that have their own different kind of drugs that might not have been specifically for coronavirus, but they've tested it on coronavirus patients and found it to be very positive. And you're also seeing the FDA is moving at, at record speed right now on a number of things. Uh, they were able to literally within days approve testing kits that in normal times might have taken well over a year. Uh, and so on these, on these kind of drugs, you know, we also have the law right to try, which is a law that we passed with President Trump a few years ago that gives people the option to try drugs that might not be approved for that specific issue. But right. what's encouraging about this drug is it's already pre-approved by the FDA for other uses, which means it's cleared so many of the hurdles that, you know, an experimental drug might have concerns about. So this is really good news. You know, and we still don't know definitively on, on how long it's going to be, but hopefully it's weeks, not months, uh, before we can get, get things back up and running. But we've got to get through this period where we see the spike hit so that you don't overwhelm your hospital system. Right. And so we're working with hospitals daily to get more PPE, those the, the, the equipment that they need to, to keep the medical professionals safe, as well as more testing kits. And that's starting to move its way through the system. Yeah, and it's, uh, you talked about the red tape lifting, and Republicans have always talked about you know regulatory reform, but here's a real-life example in, in real time where you need things and you lift the red tape, and all of a sudden amazing experimentation and, and uh, a freewheeling hands are able to start to make a better situation out of something that was pretty tough. Do you feel good about you know the steps that, that the government's taken the last few days? Yeah, I, I, you know, look, there's a lot of positive developments right now, and you know the real concern is, and I hear from businesses every day. Yesterday, I did a conference call in my district with small businesses, and we literally flooded the line. There were over 1,000 people on the call. Wow. They ran out of lines. And so small businesses are, are very concerned just you know, what, about the uncertainty. When can they get back up and running? They might have bills due, debts to pay, their bank notes coming up. And, and then the workers have the same concerns, too. And, you know, you're seeing some employees being laid off. You're seeing some people weighing, okay, I've got 200 employees, do I, do I decide between making payroll or, or paying my bank note? And we're trying to resolve a lot of that with the next big package that right. is being negotiated right now that hopefully will move through Congress in the next week, potentially, that will address all of those different issues from individuals being able to get assistance so that they can pay their bills, uh, you know, their rent, their car payment, their home note, as well as small businesses and then large businesses. You don't want to forget any component, but, you know, everybody's given really good input right now. And look, we, we know these are trying times, but we also have to be really smart about making sure what we pass has the most benefit on our economy so that when we get through this, we can have an economy that comes back so that people can go back to jobs. They're, the companies are still alive. The jobs are still there. And, uh, and we can turn it around. But right now we're working through that. Hopefully we get that agreed upon. And Secretary Mnuchin has been the point person for President Trump. And he's been doing a great job of kind of pulling all these different pieces together. 
How has it been, you know, uh, we talk about such a, a partisanly divided con- uh, Washington and Congress uh, in this moment of crisis. How are Democrats and Republicans working together? Do you see a change? Do you feel better about it? Yes, you can definitely see it. You saw it in the last bill that we passed last week that the Senate just passed yesterday. Right. Uh, to see Congress act that quickly on, on a package that large. I mean, it's it was significant to get that out. It's surely not the final answer because it was it was drafted when just a week ago we were in a much different place in our country than we are today, where now you've got so many businesses closed and even restaurants, you can only go to pickup service uh, or drive through as you can't sit in the restaurant. So, you know, all of that's changed. That's why we're working on the next package. But you are seeing people put their big disagreements aside. You know, this is not the time to try to put your big long-term policy issue on, on this bill. This is short-term to keep the economy together, to keep families together where they don't lose their houses and get kicked out of their apartments. And let's, you know, let's work together to get through it. And you're seeing that happen. I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. A lot of the everyday Americans, I think are seeing it too and appreciate it. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice change up in Washington for sure. Um, when we're done here, we're going to have a couple of critical patients, even after all of the virus patients are cured for one of them's the economy. Uh, could you talk about after we get through the initial crisis, we had a very strong and incredibly strong economy until this struck three weeks ago, what are things you think short-term, after we get through the crisis, needs to get done in order to get businesses back on the feet, employees back in, keep that employment rate down, and get that confidence back in, in the American economic engine? Yeah, you know, you're, you're seeing businesses hunker down, but you know, we don't want to see mass layoffs where when we get through this, your workforce is gone, and then the company can't get back up and running. Those employees are unemployed instead of able to get back to work. And so all of the things that we're focusing on right now really revolve around those those points. That is, you know, help families make sure that they're able to make their basic payments while they're not working, but also help those businesses who are trying to make a decision. They don't want to lay off their workforce, but they also know they've got a note to pay to the bank and they can't miss that payment out of, you know, there might be fear of foreclosure or default. And so, you know, look, after Hurricane Katrina, we did a number of things and, and it, you know, a lot of that's right. similarities in, in what we're harkening back to, where you literally had the entire city of New Orleans shut down. There was no power for over three weeks. And so businesses completely shut down. They worked with their banks. FDIC was able to give flexibility to banks to give a 90-day forbearance. So banks were able to work with their customers and say, okay, I'll float your note for 90 days. doesn't waive the payments. It just pushes your note back. If you If your final payment was 10 years from now, it would be 10 years and three months from now. Right. But they gave that flexibility so that the banks wouldn't get dinged because under current laws and rules, the bank might want to help you, but the bank's concerned that they might get hit by the FDIC. So we're working with those agencies to see if we can get that kind of flexibility so that you don't have these immediate deadlines that force you to make decisions you don't want to make with your workforce. Yeah, that's a really important thing. And it sort of creates a path to normalcy that's much more direct than if everybody got laid off and everybody defaulted for a period of time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that seems to be a big part of it. The the uh, Collins Rubio idea of the three hundred um, billion dollar package for small business. Do you think there's an appetite in the House for that? Well, there are a lot of good proposals that are moving around, and you know, one that I know Senator Rubio, Blaine Lukemeyer, Patrick McHenry on our side in the House right. have been working on is giving the SBA more flexibility to work with local banks because a typical SBA, a lot of businesses. You know, they, they might not want to take out additional loans, but they also know they have cash flow problems. And the SBA does have a lot of new powers today to give out loans 
or disasters. And in fact, you can go to sba.gov slash disaster and find out information on how you can qualify online for an SBA loan and what different options they have. But typically it might take 14 to 21 days to process one of those loans. As you know, right now, 14 to 21 days might be too long in some of the immediate decisions people are making. So given more flexibility to work with local banks through SBA uh, to move those loans quicker is something else we're looking at. Yeah, that sounds to be uh, important work in the in the days ahead. One of the uh, the second critical patient as we get through the economy, right? So first, get people well, then we're going to get the economy well. It's obvious that this pandemic has exposed some weaknesses in the planning of the healthcare system. We've talked about pandemics, and I know Congress appropriated a lot of money for prop, uh, preparation, but when we really got to a real life test, it, there are some things that weren't in 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 full speed as they should have been. What can Congress and what can the administration do? Monday morning quarterbacking to learn from this and to set into motion processes that make us better at testing, better at getting supplies stockpiled, all the things that we we ran into at the beginning of this crisis. Right. Well, you know, President Trump has been very aggressive for really since he ran for office, as well as since he's been president at saying, you know, America first, let's let's make more things in America. Let's confront China. And, you know, he was criticized by a lot of people for it. And I'll tell you, President Trump is looking very prophetic in that he identified a serious problem, and it's it's not that you want to shut your borders to everybody, but you want to have rules that work, and you want to have a manufacturing stream where you can make more of your own things so you're not reliant on a country like China. And we're seeing in a time like this, look, if China was forthright with the world immediately when this broke out in Wuhan, and you look, our, our health officials at CDC wanted to go and help and find out more information and the health officials in China wanted us to go in and help, but the Chinese government wouldn't let that us in. They wouldn't us, right? share yeah. with the world. That cost vital days and weeks mm. that the rest of the world is now suffering from that you could have prevented. And so it shows you, uh, you, you don't want to be so reliant on China that now there are certain medical supplies we can't get, ventilators. Uh, so many are made in China that right. aren't made here. So, you know, this is something I think that, that opens people's eyes up more that might have been skeptical of the president before to say, you know what, maybe that's really good policy to do all you can. Sure, we're a global economy, but we have the ability to make more things here. Let's let's realize why it's important and do it. Yeah, we had a story on that on Justin News uh, just the other day, and the voices, including people who were skeptical two years ago, that said, this, this opened my eyes. This is a real concern that we have to get fixed afterwards. Uh, it seems like that's catching on, and people are beginning to embrace that notion. Um, the second part of the healthcare system is going into the 2018 election and through election day, Democrats really owned the healthcare issue, and and then they pivoted to impeachment. And behind the scenes, you guys in the House Republican side have been working very quietly on some very important healthcare uh, legislation and ideas, fresh ideas for the American public that hit middle America, soccer moms. Can you talk a little bit about the things you're working on to create a really strong Republican alternative? Uh, to the Democrats' plans that have been out there, Medicare for all and things like that? Yes, I'd be happy to, because this is something we've been working aggressively on prior to uh, coronavirus uh, in this this outbreak. But we've been working on a number of things that focus on on two main issues. That's one, lowering costs and putting patients in charge of the decisions, not government bureaucrats. And I think that's a sharp contrast to the Medicare for all proposal, which really is government-run health care where Washington is taking those decisions out of your hand, literally eliminating the private insurance market. Uh, that would be reckless. That would be something that 180 million Americans wouldn't want it. And then people on Medicare don't want 180 million more people on Medicare. It would undermine 
that system. So what we're focused on is things that would lower costs, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, for example. We have got a package of bills that we've already put together that are very bipartisan. These aren't, you know, hey, this is our idea and you don't like it. Frankly, most Democrats like it. Speaker Pelosi won't bring this package of bills to the floor, uh, but it would do things like put more generics on the market quicker, uh, eliminating some of the things like, for example, a drug company today, when their drug goes through the 10-year cycle where it goes to the generic market, they can hold back the information and not share with the generic company. They can actually pay the generic companies not to make the generic drug. So you as a consumer don't get that drug at a lower cost because the drug company is paying off another drug company, and it's legal. It should not be legal. We have a bill to make it illegal. That would be in our package, and for whatever reason, you don't see Pelosi and her team embracing that. Uh, but it's, that's keeping low-cost drugs out of the hands of families right now. Those are the kind of things we're working on while protecting people with pre-existing conditions, with the focus being on lowering costs, letting you make your decisions. If you want to buy a better plan from another state, why shouldn't you be able to do it? You buy everything else online. You don't care where it's made. You just want the product at the best cost for your family. We need to make healthcare work better like that, and that's what we're focused on. It seems like some of the ideas that, you know, 25, 30 years ago in the contract with America, the uh, school choice, well, now it's, it, it may be healthcare choice, right? You guys are, are trying to create more choices in the private market yeah. to solve a lot it of really, these John, issues. Yeah, it's healthcare freedom because yeah. what the Democrats want with Medicare for All is government control of your healthcare decision. If only one thing for all, I mean, do you really think healthcare is one size fits all? And that's literally the name of their plan is right. Medicare for All, which isn't Medicare. Because it means you, you are now taken away from your private insurance. Most Americans get their health care through their private, whether it's their company or individually. Uh, and most people like those plans. Surely we need to focus on lowering the cost, but you don't take that away from people. And you don't have government bureaucrats in Washington making those decisions. Uh, that process has been tried, by the way, and it fails. So why don't we focus on, instead of a Canadian-style system, where they literally make choices on who can live and who can die, let you make those decisions with your doctor with more freedom to control your health care decisions. In the, uh, in the conversations, it sounds like Republicans have spent a lot of time talking on the front lines to both consumers and also to doctors and health care providers that really understand how the system works. What sort of feedback, I, I know the middlemen issue, like, such as you mentioned with the drugs, uh, what sort of feedback are you getting from doctors and real patients that have crafted this plan or helped influence the ideas you're putting together in the plan? We're getting tremendous feedback, and in fact, we have a lot of medical doctors in Congress now. After Obama, a lot of doctors got out of the practice and started running for Congress and getting elected because they have really smart ideas. So there is a doctors caucus, and in fact, I've met directly with them. Uh, in in my whip team, as we're putting this together, we met with the doctors caucus, and you want to talk about people who have really good ideas. They care about their patients. They want to be able to make the decisions with their patients. They don't want to. Have, whether it's somebody at an insurance company making a decision on which kind of treatments you can get or some bureaucrat in Washington saying you have to do it this way when your doctor's saying there's a better way to do it. So the, the doctors we have in the doctor's caucus in Congress have been invaluable and in given us really good ideas about how to solve all of these problems, including surprise billing. There's some really good ways, smart ways to solve the surprise billing problem. Let's do all of that, and there's a way to do it in a very bipartisan way. Speaker Pelosi has it been interested in that approach, unfortunately. There's been some demagoguery, and of course, there's always a suggestion Republicans are not going to protect um, uh, pre-existing conditions and whatever thing. But from the plans you're putting together as a leader in the, in the front line on this, pre-existing conditions, generic drugs, those are all going to be protected by a Republican plan. Is that correct? Absolutely. And President Trump's been very clear about that as he well. Has. 
And there's ways to do it where you focus on lowering costs. You know, in Obamacare, they say they protect people with pre-existing conditions, but part of what they do is you're seeing deductibles skyrocket. So you might have a, a five to $10,000 deductible in your plan. Uh, that's not really health care. If you can't afford it, sure, they say you're protected, but you can't. It's like giving you the keys to a car that's got no engine. <laughs> and point. so you're seeing a right. lot of people with pre-existing conditions that can't afford the protection. So a lot of good that does. Why don't we focus on lowering the cost? Clearly, if you look at, at people that have higher risk, their costs are higher today. But we can do things like high-risk pools where you're buying down those premiums so that when you go to buy insurance, you're getting a market rate like everybody else, and it lowers the premium base for all people that are trying to buy their own plans, or you can still get it through your employer. Those are decisions you should be able to make, not some government bureaucrat telling you what to do at a cost that's too high for you to afford. Yeah, and with, with everything going on, it sounds like you have a pretty comprehensive plan now. When do you roll it out, and how has the coronavirus sort of affected that rollout? Well, you know, the, obviously the, all of our focus right now is on addressing this crisis, getting right. through this crisis, and getting our economy back up and running so families can continue to have a strong uh, strong future. But, you know, that's that's something that we'll decide later. But, you know, right now all of our energy has been on working together. And, and again, it's been very very productive uh, from the president on down. You know, look how well President Trump is working with governors, Republican and Democrat alike. I think you've seen everybody putting those differences aside and saying, this is our focus. Let's go get this done and tackle it like you would confront a war. And in fact, you saw the president invoke uh, some more production powers so that he can help get medical supplies to hospitals quicker. Those are the kind of things that we're doing, and it's happened rapidly, and, and it's happening very collaboratively. Yeah, it's a, who would have thought uh, three weeks ago that Congresswoman Omar and uh, uh, Governor uh, Newsom and, uh, and Governor Cuomo would be saying nice things about President Trump. But it's funny how a crisis like this makes uh, everybody work together a lot closer. Right. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a brave new world. Hopefully you see this continue. You know, we, we know this is a time when people come together. Yeah. You saw this after September 11th. You've seen it. I saw it after Hurricane Katrina. Right. You saw it first day there. Yeah. They pulled together. And we get through it. We got through it then. Uh, we're going to get through this. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but I think you're seeing just today the announcement of a, of a drug that has real potential already approved by the FDA for something else that could possibly help with this. So, you know, you're seeing everybody working very rapidly to confront this crisis. Yes, a lot of people have said it to me in the last couple of days. We're seeing the best of America and that makes them smile, which is good. Um, yeah. One last topic I want to get to, because you've been one of the most articulate voices in going all the way back to 2017 about the Russia collusion case and all the things we've learned about the government's conduct. And I want to, right now, as you've watched this play out, the Justice Department do its thing, the FISA renewal, do you think we're at a point of clear accountability yet, or do you need to see more happen from the Justice Department and for Congress to make sure we don't have a repeat of the Russia collusion case in the future? We're not where I want to be. And look, I think the country has seen, and in their eyes have been open, there's been a lot of transparency of the corruption For sure. and abuses of the FISA process. And, and it's not to say, look, I mean, the FBI, the CIA, our intelligence agencies are critically important to our national security. And I've strongly supported them. I've supported the FISA law. But you saw abuses of it, and there needs to be heavy penalties. I really think when you see the Durham report come out, hopefully it names names. And I think those people need to go to jail who abused the FISA law. I think right. it would reinstall a lot of confidence in the public to say, okay, I know there were abuses. Any law, there's going to be people that break it. The real question is, are people held accountable? That would give you more confidence in the law. 
And so hopefully that happens because, again, it's a critical tool in our national security. It was abused. We know it was abused. Now let's go hold those people accountable so that the law can continue to work the right way. We put some reforms in place, and I work with Jim Jordan and the rest of our team to pass a FISA law in the House that has really good not only renewal, but renewal with reforms that include strong penalties on people who abuse it, as we're waiting, hopefully, for those other people who abused it to be held accountable. I hope the Senate ultimately gets that bill passed to the president, and I hope the attorney general holds those people accountable who abused the law in the Durham report. We'll hopefully lay that out. Yeah, no, that's going to be an important battle, and um, uh, we'll have to see where the Senate is with Rand Paul and others, but there's there's clearly some important discussions going on behind the scene. I wanted this float this one last idea because it came off this podcast, not my idea, but last week we had KT McFarland on, and you know she was a witness at I think ran up she said about five to seven hundred thousand dollars of legal bills, an innocent witness who was just a fact witness in the Mike Flynn case, and she talked about the how the crushing cost of these legal bills would lead someone to possibly fold and just plead to something just to stop the bleeding of money. And I'm curious if, if there's any interest or any discussion going on behind the scenes in Congress to create a fund where people who are innocent witnesses that end up, you know, a half million dollars, quarter million dollars of legal bills that they couldn't normally afford, uh, whether there's a way to reimburse them going forward to kind of balance out this system. Uh, has that come up in any of the discussions that you've had behind the scenes in Congress? You know, I've surely seen some of the people who were literally bankrupted uh, by the abuse of uh, the justice system where they went after people and literally were just trying to hang things over their head to get them to say things that didn't happen. Uh, And in so many of the reports we saw, you know, during those secret meetings with Adam Schiff, they would leak out, oh, this next witness is going to be the one that's the bombshell. And it's going to expose all this corruption and the president did this and that. And then the person testifies and none of it happens. You know, where's accountability for that? Good people were drugged through the mud, and, and that's a wrong. I mean, that's an abuse of power. The real abuse of power is, is what these people did from Schiff on down uh, to try to destroy a, a, a candidate for president. Don, this all happened when Donald Trump was that's a right. candidate for president during the Obama administration. Nobody, no candidate for any office should have to go through that. And to see them drag good people through the mud to try to get them to say things that didn't happen is an abuse of power that I hope is held accountable as well. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point and uh, one that we can't stop telling the American public. We can't let people forget what happened there. So, uh, sir, I can't thank you enough for the time. We all wish you well in your quarantine. We're we're glad that you're feeling well, and uh, we look forward to uh, the moment when you're back in the public and putting these plans out there. We can learn more about them. It sounds great. And um, I well, thank thanks you. so much. Great to be with you. We're, we're all going to get through this, but you know everybody's focused on working together to get this done as quickly as possible so that we can then, uh, get back to our lives. So great being with you, John. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, you heard it from Steve Scalise. It's what a great interview. We want to thank him. And uh, we'll be back right after this commercial break. All right, America, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports here at Just the News. We're so grateful that you tune in, you listen, and you support both the mission of Just the News to give you just facts, information without indoctrination, and this uh, podcast where we've been able to get some great guests like today, Congressman Steve Scalise, and to give you some early uh, information that others might not have given you yet on things like uh, chloroquine, the anti-malarial drug. We're so grateful. We'll be back next week with another two podcasts. I hope you tune in. Until then, be safe, be healthy, and have a blessed weekend.